Open our Bibles this morning to Psalm 42. Psalms 42. In verse 1 it says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? I'd like to speak a message this morning titled, Man's Pursuit of God's Presence. Man's Pursuit of God's Presence. Because if you consider the word pursue, it is to seek diligently, to follow, and to pursue. I want us to think about in our little space and time of history, how that we are pursuing God's presence. Because if you think back, you can go all the way back to the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. When God put him out, he created him and he had his presence. But when sin came into his life, he was separated from God and he no longer had God's presence available all the time in a visible, physical form as he did before sin, before the fall of man. So if you go all the way back to then, he was put out. And then even the children of Adam that they offered sacrifices and they were seeking approval. They were seeking the presence of God. And you go from there all through Scripture. You have men like Moses who would say, God, if you're not with us, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. And when he was on the mountain, he said, just allow me to see your presence. And all through Scripture, it's a continual theme. Man's pursuit of God's presence. And we think about how that the, the Israelites, they would fall away, and then they would come back and seek the Lord. And how God would send prophets, and He would have a message for them. Return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. And after that, it would go to, they were seeking the Messiah. When is the Messiah going to come? And they were in pursuit, personally and as a nation, for the presence of God. And then as we came through that, there was a day called the Day of Pentecost. After Jesus was here, they were gathered together seeking and pursuing God's presence. And then we come all the way into more even into modern time. Think about this. The revivals. Azusa Street. You think about the men that had ministries. Branham, Wigglesworth, John G. Lake. When they would hold a campaign, thousands, thousands of people would come. Why? Because of their pursuit of God's presence. And this continued on up until even the last 40, 50 years. When there would be movements. How many of you all remember the prophetic movement? The deliverance movement. Or remember when there was a revival in Pensacola. I went down to the revival in Pensacola. I was not seeking the presence of the Lord. 
I was more seeking the presence of his creation. She was about 5'8 and blonde-headed. <laughs> but I was there and I saw the crowds of people pers <laughs> pers pursuing the presence of the Lord, which I most definitely was not. But man, throughout all through history, he has done that. But what about if we came a little closer to home and said, our parents moved here seeking and pursuing the presence of the Lord. So where would that leave us today as a second generation? Are we still pursuing the presence of the Lord. Because everybody here would describe, if they were given an opportunity, at some point in their life, they sensed, they witnessed to the presence of God. But I think the better question we have to ask today is when was the last time we sensed and saw the presence of God? I want us to turn... Psalms 139. Because as we think about man's pursuit of God's presence, it begins to be difficult to speak about for me because I understand and realize as much as anybody could that the things that I want to say are above my ability to understand. Because when you begin to talk about the presence of the Almighty God and all the different ways that He has revealed Himself to His people, His ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts. I'm not going to pretend to do that. It's probably, I was probably the most nervous about speaking this message not because of you all, or not because of being unprepared, but because of the subject, what I realized I am talking about and describing with what knowledge God has given me, Him, His presence. I can't do it. It's heavy. So what I want to do this morning, I want to speak a message that God can use to stir up our desire and our hunger for the presence of God. I want us to look at Scripture. I want us to consider our modern day and our lives as we pursue the presence of God. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you as a church and as individuals. We ask that even now you would send your Holy Spirit to put words in my mouth to open up my mind and our hearts to hear truth and that you would be glorified in all that we do and we give you the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. When we talk about man's pursuit of God's presence, immediately there seems to be a problem because we know that God is omnipresent. God can be anywhere and everywhere at one time or at the same time. He is spirit. 
So when we think about how can man, me and you, pursue something that already is right here with us? How does that make any sense? He is not limited to the laws of nature. He's not limited to space. He's spirit. And as we think about it, then I would not need a pursuit or a desire to find or to see or to sense or to experience God's presence. He already is. And that's true. But what I believe the pursuit that man has for God's presence is to see the manifestation of God's presence. To see His presence manifested in our lives in our day-to-day walk, in our struggles, and in His glory. And I want us to look at three things. This is such a big subject. It's like planning a wedding. You start really small with your family and friends. And this sermon has gotten completely out of control. So I want us to just skim through, just through the, the part that I believe God has for us today. And any one of these points could be sermons. There could be something that you grab a hold of and want to search yourself about the manifestation of God's presence in my life, in my lifetime, and with my children. In Psalms 139, in verse 7, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike unto you. God is everywhere. God is there. The manifestation by definition would be making something evident or clear. The making of something evident or clear. To see, to understand, to know and experience God's presence. There's three ways that I want us to look at this morning. The ways that God would manifest His presence. There are so many examples and books and man's ideas and testimonies about visions, about things they have experienced in, in revivals. We could go all day just talking about the experiences that happened 30, 40 years ago. But I'd rather us look at Scripture and look at how God manifested His presence to His people. And what I believe, God will still manifest His presence to His people today. The first manifestation of God's presence is in a physical, visible, and supernatural way. That is whenever there are action. When God manifests His presence throughout history in a way that is in an action form, something supernatural with power, And it almost always included an enemy, an opposition, a battle, a trial, a struggle. There was something facing God's people. 
And God's people turned to Him, and He manifested His presence. That's the first one I want us to look at. And as we look at this, I want us to consider some of the stories in the Bible. I don't think we're going to have time to read these, but listen to some of these things and let your memory remember these things. Jehoshaphat. You all remember when he received word, there was a great army coming from beyond the sea, and he was afraid. And he gathered the entire country together, the women, the children, and the men. And they say he humbled himself before God and sought God because he needed a manifestation of God's presence. Remember, the word of the Lord came upon a man in the assembly, and he said the famous words that we all have heard, Go out, for the battle is not yours, but the Lord's. And remember, whenever the next day... Now, you think about it, He had a night to dwell on that. The next day, after consulting with his singers and his other people, they decided to go out and praise the Lord. This is in Second Chronicles 20, if anybody wants to, to look at that at some point. But as they went out towards the enemy, the Bible says, as they praised the Lord, the Lord set an ambush and caused the enemy to turn on each other. Remember, the two armies turned on the one, and then they finished themselves off. God manifested His presence in the face of a struggle for His people. What about Hezekiah in 2 Kings 19? Remember when the king of Assyria came out and he sent his men and they would talk loud so that everybody on the wall could hear. And he described how there is not another country that can stand before us, the Assyrians. We have taken every single city we've tried to. Their gods have not helped. And he blasphemed God. And remember that Hezekiah went in and he prayed to the Lord. He humbled himself and prayed. And he said, Lord, fight for us. And the Lord answered him and said, I will defend this city. And he sent his angel and killed the soldiers. But God manifested his presence. What about Gideon? What about when we think about Gideon? All the way down to 300 men. Remember what a, what a chance that it seemed they were taking when they scattered their few men around a huge army. And they, and they proclaimed the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they all turned on each other in their confusion. And the Lord manifested His presence. What about the siege of Samaria? And it's a really good story in 2 Kings 7 about they had laid the siege against Samaria and they cut off all their supplies for food, and there was famine. Everybody was starving to death. And it's a good story because it, it picks up these four lepers that are sitting by the gate, and it picks up a conversation they had between each other, and they say, if we stay here, we die. If we go into the city, into the famine, we're going to die. So let's just go out and face the army, and if they kill us, we only die. And so the four men got up and headed across the plain into the very uttermost part of the enemy's camp. And when they arrived there, they found everybody gone. And it's a humorous story because they said they went into a tent and they sat down to eat. They were hungry. Then they got done there, they went to another tent. They got some valuables and they went and hid it. 
Then they came back and did the same thing again. They had the entire camp to themselves. These four lepers, everybody starving in the city. And so then they said, this is not right. So they went and they told the king's house and all the people stampeded out the gate and went out and partook of it. But it says that the Spirit of the Lord made the sound of an army of chariots and it frightened this army so bad that they ran and they left everything. They said they shed their armor on the road and they were gone because God manifested his presence for his people. And then as we begin to think about other ways that God manifests, and there's so many of these through the Bible, but think about all through there you would see a statement that would say, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. How many times have we read about that? Came upon a man, just like you and I. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And when he did, there was results. You think about like John was talking about uh, David and how the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then the other side of it too, where the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And you think about Samson. When the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, he tore a lion apart. Remember when he hid in a, in a cleft of a rock and they sent 300 men to come down and say, please, please turn yourself in. 300. And he said, will you kill me? And they said, no. Well, then I'll go. And they bound him tight, took him to the Philistines, to that famous place. Because when he got there, he broke those ropes and he picked up a jawbone and he killed a thousand men because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Or you take Elijah on Mount Carmel as he challenged the, the idol worshipers of Baal. And I know you all heard these things, but they're, they're really good because think about, think about how these people, they had a need. They had a need to see the manifestation of God's presence. And I'm going to tell you, we have a need to see the manifestation of God's presence. And as he went to Mount Carmel, he allowed them to go first, and they prayed that fire would come down. Of course, it did not, because Baal is a false god. And then he prayed so that these people would know. Fire came down. Then they killed 450 of the prophets of Baal. And then remember, they had been in a drought, and he told Ahab, you better get to the castle because it's going to rain. And they say when it started to rain... Ahab took off, but the Spirit of the Lord was on Elijah, and he ran ahead of him. Remember that story? So when we think about those things, all through this history, there were big and major obstacles and battles in people's life, just like us. And they had no way of receiving the victory unless God manifested his presence. But folks, that's exactly where we sit today in 2015. There's some big battles being fought. There's some real oppositions to us going forward. We need the presence of God. I want us to look at a couple of things. I want us to think about uncertainty. When we, today, as we go through our daily lives, the uncertainty of tomorrow. 
with a manifestation of God's presence, we know he's already in tomorrow. And it loses its power over us. Because if he manifests his presence to us, then the things that we're uncertain about become pretty small. What about sickness? What about sickness? Folks, we cannot stand in a pulpit and preach 80%. And I'm going to tell you there's divine healing in this Bible. Divine healing for God's people. It's in there. It is in there, and he says, I am the Lord who heals you, period. When you look, at, you can do every word study you want to. I will not lay these sicknesses upon you, these diseases. It's sickness. It's maladies. It is healing, divine healing for God's people. And it does not matter if every one of us, every one of us, Go to the hospital. That still is not his way of healing his people. It doesn't make any difference. Because he said, you shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. There was many alternatives to healing in Jesus' day. But he laid hands on the sick, and they recovered. And that is part of divine healing. And we have that. And I want us to look at something here. I want us to look at faith. He said, your faith has made you whole. He said this over and over and over. Remember when the ten lepers were crying out to him with a loud voice? And he said, your faith has made you whole. Or the woman that said, if I can just touch his garment, then I'll be made well. And when she did, he said, woman, your faith has made you whole. Or the blind man that followed him. And they were saying, be quiet. And whenever Jesus finally stopped, and he said, but I could see. And Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. I want us to think about something about faith in divine healing. Because to me, this is very clear, and it's very necessary for all of us to be reminded of this on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, because sickness is going to be a battle it's going to be an opposition that we have to deal with from now until we receive our new body one day. It is something that will be in this world. Do we have to be sick? Absolutely not. But we are going to be faced with us or our friends or somebody. This battle will test us at some point. I want us to think about faith. If faith is a gift from God, and it's something very precious. Your faith as an individual is something God gives us. And then as time passes, this faith begins to grow. The more promises that we have, the more things we see in His Word, the more experiences we have, our faith grows. But it has to be tested. Because as it grows, how do we really know how genuine it is unless it is tested? I want us to turn to 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 1, in verse 6, think about how that we received faith. 
a gift. And as time has passed and through all these years of sitting under the Word and understanding more and receiving more light, it has begun to grow and has begun to develop. And now, here we are in 1 Peter. In this you greatly rejoice, in verse 6, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to look at this verse, and I want to think about a couple parts of it. Genuineness. How genuine, how real is our faith? Because as time goes on, there's only one way, or there is, this is one way, is by fire. And it is never a fun thing to have to go through a fiery trial, to go through fire. But sometimes it's going to take fire to test how genuine our faith is. And it explains it so well at the end because it says, may be found for, to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. At the end, it will be found to be genuine. Because it was tested. It was tested. We have to think about, as we are tested, our faith is tested, we could come up short. Because there could be parts of our faith that is not genuine. And there's only one way to know. But here's the beauty of it. Because Scripture doesn't stop right there. Because, see, a lot of people say, well... The just shall live by faith, and if anybody draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But when you really read that and search the word, draw back means to walk away. It's apostasy. It's not to fall. It doesn't say the just shall live by faith, and if anybody falls, my soul has no pleasure. He says if anybody walks away, my soul has no pleasure. And the devil wants to tell us that it means if we fall, that we've forever fallen. We can't glorify God falling. And we can't glorify God staying down. The only way we glorify God with our life is standing. And if our faith enables us to stand, and it has to be tested, and we find that all of a sudden there could be something that wasn't genuine in our life, and God exposes whatever it might be, then we have to get up and we have to stand and we have to continue to build so that at the revelation of Jesus Christ, it will be praise, honor, and glory. Just as it says right there. But the scripture doesn't stop there. Look in Luke 22. This is some of the most amazing scriptures for us to be able to, having been in our circles for 30 years, these are some amazing scriptures right here. Look at Luke 22, in verse 31. And I've heard this all of my life, but in context of our faith and of being tried by fire and seeing how genuine our faith is, when I look at Luke 22, verse 31... 
And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Strengthen your brethren. Because he says, I have prayed that your faith would not fail. And when you have returned, does that mean that he, was, he knew he was going to depart? He knew he was going to fall. He said, I prayed that your faith would not fail you. And when you have returned, that means he's going to fall. He did fall. He fell in grand fashion. He denied the Lord, not just once, three times. But he said, when you have returned, strengthen your brethren. How is God going to use a man in our minds as we try to put our minds around this from everything we've ever known about failure? And we try to think, but how can God take a man who has fallen and take him over here and select and use him to teach and to strengthen those who have not. And what he's strengthening them to do is not fall. Because when you turn over to John 21, after he has fallen, remember by the seashore, and that's an, um, that is a sermon of itself. But at the seashore, when he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. In verse 16, he asked him again. And then he says, tend my sheep. And thirdly, he asked him again, and he said, feed my sheep. To strengthen, the word to strengthen in Luke, it means to make steadfast. Make steadfast, my people your brethren. If Jesus can look at a man who has went through the fire to see how genuine his profession, how genuine his faith is, and say, when you return, strengthen your brethren, then how is it whenever we face falling, when our faith is being tried, and we're overcome. How is it that we can listen to condemnation that says you were a failure and you will always be a failure? Strengthen your brethren. Because I believe that when a man goes through a trial and he stands back on his feet and he searches for God and he says, God, show me what it is about my faith that I can strengthen and do better. I believe when another man or woman around him goes through a similar trial, God can use him to strengthen his brethren. And I believe the latter part of that man will be better. I want us to think about that as we think about our faith and we think about sicknesses. Falling does not glorify God. Going to the doctor is not God's way of healing. But if we have gone through a trial, and that's for all of us, all of us that have been to doctors, all of us, if we've gone through it, 
we get up. We get up and we seek to make sure every part of our profession and our faith is genuine. And when we do, we can strengthen our brethren. Amen. Amen. Because God watches over His Word, and no matter what happens, if every single person walks away and doesn't believe in divine healing, let God be true and every man a liar. Amen. Every one of them. And as we think about another trial or another opposition that comes that we need God's presence to manifest, a lot of people immediately think about, in our modern day, their finances. And I think that is a slippery slope at times because I think a lot of times the battle is not a test as to see where your affections are. The battle could be on the inside. It could have to do with greed, covetousness, just plain old being lazy or being a poor steward of what God's given you. Because when God gives a little, we're to be a good steward over it. Or it could be judgment because we've never learned to keep our mouth shut. Because whenever one man does well and another man over here has not, he tends to want to say he must be doing something that's not right. And then all of a sudden, when he finds himself in a battle and he says, I must be being tested, actually you could be under judgment. There may need to do some soul searching if you're broke this morning. There may need to be some repenting and asking God, am I being a good steward? Have I sinned with my mouth against my brother? Am I covetous of things that take me an entirely different direction and have no purpose in His purpose? No purpose in His purpose. And as we think about those things, then with a clear conscience, can we go to the Lord and say, I believe in your provision I believe in abundant life. I believe the more you give me, the more I can be a giver. And I can learn to live and to manage as I go through this life blessed to where I manage the things you've given me and they're not managing me. Amen? We have to consider that because a lot of struggles financially are very real. We don't know each other. We don't know what really goes on because it's something that is very hidden and guarded. There could be people here that you think are doing very well that are really almost overcome with a financial battle. So you never know when you say things who the Lord may use it for. But I'll tell you, we are not to go through this life fulfilling His purpose for our life defeated by finances. That's not the way that he had it. All through the Old Testament, he describes his people, how they'll be blessed. Doesn't mean they're blessed so they can take their ease and, and lay up. No, it's not. But it is so they can fulfill their purpose without being defeated by their finances. I think we have to search our lives and our hearts and see where our motives lie. If there's sin in our life, we need to repent. We need to consider it. I want us to think about, as we go through different battles, fear is one of the biggest battles that any of us ever face. Fear. 
And I want us to consider how important and how big the presence of God is whenever we're in a situation where there is fear. Because, if you think about it, if the battle is not ours but His that we're facing, if we knew that by His manifestation of His presence, we would no longer fear. That's how important it is. Or what about whenever he says he is an ever-present help in time of need? If we believe that and he manifested his presence, then we would know we have nothing to fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And he says, why are your hearts disquieted? Hope in God. Hope in God and believe that God will manifest his presence. I believe we're in a time where we can strengthen, strengthen ourselves because the day's coming, we will have to battle fear. It's one of the devil's greatest, greatest weapons. Turn to 1 Kings 19. Because in 1 Kings 19, there is a manifestation of God's presence. But it comes to a man that is running for his life. And it seems odd because we just mentioned him earlier. He's the one that prayed and fire came down from heaven and he outrun the horses. And in a short amount of time, just... Two pages, to be exact, in my Bible, he's hiding in a cave, afraid for his life. How could this be? What about the manifestation of God's presence? And in, in verse 9, it says, and it's Elijah, and he said, And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Secondly, this morning, one of the ways that God manifests his presence is inwardly. It's in our hearts. And as we think about a still, small voice. Well, I really want that. By definition, that is a distinct whisper. A distinct whisper. A manifestation of God's presence in my life on a daily basis. We think about, as we turn over to John 14, and as we think about the different ways that God manifests himself to us, Inwardly, 
We think about how a still small voice. What about secondly, a, the Holy Spirit? In John 14, in verse 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The inward manifestation of God's presence. What about convictions? What about as we came to the Lord and we said, Come into my heart, be my Lord and Savior. Put your spirit within me. And what about when we go out and we do the same things we did before? What happens on the inside? Our heart smites us. We call it a conviction. And as we read his word, it says, do not. And then when we get ready to do, something says, you cannot do that anymore. That is a manifestation of God's presence on the inside. That's how he manifests himself. And when we think about being led by the Lord, that's a manifestation of God's presence. You think about in the Word of God. When you sit down to read the Word of God, and you say, open up my understanding and allow your Holy Spirit to guide and direct me, and you begin to understand, that is a manifestation of the Word of God because one day you may wake up and find yourself standing before the people preaching, and you will want all of the insight and help that you can get. I want to read to you one of my favorite scriptures about this. In 1 John 2, 27, this is a real, this is a real comfort. It says, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. That right there is where I'm going to put my hope Every time I stand behind this pulpit, I'm going to say, I need a manifestation of the presence of God by anointing the words that come out of my mouth. I remember Dad used to say, well, when you're preaching, you need to just paint a picture that the people can see. You need to be sure that you only preach what you believe. You need to be sure that whenever you go in front of people, you have prepared yourself. And you know what? Some of that you can do, but some of that you absolutely cannot. It takes an anointing. It takes a manifestation of God's presence. If there is a word spoken today that you've heard that you said, that is truth, and that is for me, that is a manifestation of God's presence. Because without that, we're just telling stories. I don't want it. I don't want any part of it. It has to be an anointing. What about a manifestation when we're witnessing? You know, we are all familiar with a, a verse, which I don't believe we understand very well, but it says, well, don't cast your pearl before the swine. Does that mean maybe I'm not one to witness? We think about that and we say that is a manifestation of God's presence that he directs me not to. Folks, being led is something that is very special. It is something that is a manifestation of God's presence. 
and we say, well, we have to go and make disciples. I find it so interesting because that is absolutely, fundamentally the truth. And I find it so interesting that he put in John, I think it was John, maybe it was Matthew, Matthew, Matthew 28. He says, go and make disciples, and I am with you. Think about that. Go make disciples, and I'm with you. My presence will manifest with you, and in doing so, you'll make disciples. To me, that's a beautiful thing, how that the Scripture has that all put together so that you all of a sudden come along and you think, I am, I am going to, I am going to do this. Actually not. He's going with me, and that enables me. I am enabled by His presence, by the manifestation. The work of ministry, all the God-given gifts are a manifestation of His presence. We think about the inward presence, that we're all being changed. That is a work and a manifestation of God's presence. And lastly... As we move along here, lastly, a third manifestation of God's presence we have when in a visible, physical action form where he goes on behalf of his people and he fights the battles and he shows himself strong and then he manifests his presence on the inside, in our hearts. He guides us. He anoints us. He enables us. That's a manifestation of his presence, enabling the indwelling Christ inside of us, enabling us. It's a manifestation of His presence. And thirdly, is when He manifests His presence by His glory. Because all through history, men have seen, at some point or another, they see the glory of God. You know, our Bible immediately will go back to our training as we were sitting in, in front of our, our mothers or, or, or Bible school, and we say, all creation declares the glory of God. And it does. You think about how perfect creation is. It declares the glory of God. But the glory of God was before creation. Because in John 17, Jesus praying said, and the glory we had before the worlds were made. So we can't just limit God needed creation for Him to have glory. God already was glorious. God's glory is just a display of all of His perfections. It is, a, it is a glimpse. Man can't handle God's glory. Okay, remember that. Man can't handle, no matter what your song says on the radio, no matter what a preacher tells you, man can't handle it because he is but flesh. And God is God. So we think about God's glory, and now He has... He has revealed His glory in many different ways. I want us to look at one particular way. I want us to look at in 2 Chronicles, and I want, to, I want to say a few words about it before we read this. In 2 Chronicles 6, there was a particular or a, a, a particular way that God shown His glory to His people through history. And the Jewish people, they, they made a word, a Hebrew word, that described 
the glory of God. It's not a biblical word. But everywhere it translates, as scholars have translated, God's glory, the Jewish people have put a word there. And that word is Shekinah. Has anybody ever heard of the Shekinah glory? Well, as they have put that word to describe God's glory, the very definition of Shekinah is where God dwells. The abiding, the habitation of God, the Shekinah glory. And that first, you know, whenever they first talked about the Shekinah glory, it was in when the people left Egypt and there was a, a fire by night in a cloud by day. And they described that as the Shekinah. They talked about in the, in the wilderness, whenever the glory of the Lord fell upon the tabernacle, the Shekinah glory came upon that. And they said men would bow down and priests were unable to even minister when the glory of the Lord. I want us to consider ourselves. When we hear these things, the Shekinah glory, the old days, God showing His glory. I want us to ask ourselves, has He quit showing His glory? Is that something of the old days? Or can we experience it again? I want us to look at, in Second Chronicles 6, there's a lot of reading here, and I want us just to go through it. And I want everybody to read for yourself as I read, and I want you to consider yourself. I want to consider your life. Consider your battles. Consider the obstacles. Consider the experiences that you have gone through or are going through. And think about your expectations of the presence of God. And I want us to read through Second Chronicles 6. And I want us to start... Let's see. This story starts with uh, Solomon in verse 12 says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. For Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits high, and three cubits high, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had set it in the midst of the court, and he stood on it, and he knelt down on his knees before all the assembly of Israel. And he spread out his hands towards heaven. And a lot, of, a lot of commentators talk about how that was so unusual for a king to bow on his knees in, before his whole kingdom, before God. And he says, he begins to, to speak and he says, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you have promised your servant David, my father, and you have spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is to this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you have promised your servant David, my father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel, only if your sons take heed to their way and they walk in my law as you have walked before me. And now, Lord God of Israel, let your word come true which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God indeed dwell with men on earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. 
how much less this temple which I have built. Yet regard this prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry of the prayer which your servant is praying before you, that your eyes may be open towards this temple day and night, toward the place where you have said you would put your name, that you would hear the prayer which your servant makes towards this place. And you may hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. If anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, bringing retribution on the wicked and bringing his way on his own head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. Or if your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you and return and confess your name and pray and make supplication before you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave them and their fathers. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray towards this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them in the good way in which they should walk and send rain on the land which you have given your people as an inheritance. When there is a famine in the land, pestilence, blight, mildew, locusts, or grasshoppers, when the enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all of your people Israel, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief and spreads out his hands in this, to this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of the sons of men, that they may fear you to walk in your ways as long as they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come up from a far country for the sake of your great name, and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray in this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all the foreigner calls to you, that all the people of the earth may know your name and fear you, and do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. When your people go out to battle against their enemies, wherever you send them, and when they pray to you towards this city which you have chosen, and the temple which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their supplication, and maintain their cause. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them, and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive for, to a land far or near, yet when they come to themselves in the land which, which they were carried captive, and repent, and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned, we have done wrong and committed wickedness. When they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, where they have been carried captive and pray towards their land, which you gave their fathers, the city which you have chosen, 
and towards the temple which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, my God, I pray, let your eyes be open and let your ears be attentive to the prayers made in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priest, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away your face from your anointed. Remember the mercies of your servant David. There's a continual theme that goes around and around. When you hear, you turn, and you pray, and you repent. And he prayed that over and over as he knelt before, before the, the nation of Israel. I tried to see they have a description of how many people it was because they said they stretched from one place to another and I couldn't find it. I don't know how far it was. But it was a great multitude of people that stood before the Lord that day. And when we think about God manifesting His glory, the Shekinah glory started in verse 7, or in chapter 7, it says, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering, and their sacrifices and the sacrifices, and the glory, or the Shekinah of the Lord, filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire had come down in the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, and His mercy endures forever. My question to us today as a church is, why not us? Why can we not experience the Shekinah glory here on this earth in our lifetime? I'm going to tell you what it would cure us of. It would cure us of a worldly focus. Because everything in this world would become a lot less. The glory of God manifested in our life would cure us of sin. Because we would have such reverence in fear of God, that we would not sin. It would cure us of having a whole lot to say in prophecy or in words of knowledge or amongst each other as we sit around about, well, God said, and I tell you what God showed me, we would be very careful because we would have experienced the true glory of God in His presence. And it would cure us of a lack of praise. We would not have any trouble coming and praising the Lord. Folks, I'm going to tell us one of the biggest needs that you and I have and our children have is a moment in our life when we can say, Behold the Lord. Behold the Lord. The manifestation of God's presence in our midst Children, behold the Lord. Because just as they bowed down and could not even minister, could not even raise their heads, neither would we. What is it about our lives that when we hear that, we say, that can't be for us? Why can't it be for Shelbyville Christian Assembly? 
that we hear and we see a manifestation of the glory of God. How in the world can we get to a point where we consider the manifestation of God's presence to be something of the past? That's, there's nothing in Scripture about that. How could it be the past? I'll tell you, God is not a man. He cannot lie. He says, I am the Lord, I change not. People change. Societies change. Mindsets change. We've changed. God hasn't changed. God has not changed. We in our lifetime can see and behold the Lord. We are His people just as much as the people that we read about right here. We are His people. So can we believe? Can we seek? Can we pursue the presence of God? As we think about God, whose presence we pursue. He is the Lord who changes not. And His mercy endures forever and ever. Because the first prayer I think a man would pray is, God, have mercy on us. Have mercy. And as these people turn, hear from heaven and forgive. Because we cannot continue to live in a state that is considered to be right, self-righteous, self-sufficient, just to fill a seat and hope that I hear some truth to apply and hang on a wall like a trophy and miss the presence of God. Because if God has not changed, He is still willing to show Himself strong on our behalf. The Shekinah glory can fall in our life at some point and change our entire lives. It can change our, the entire lives of our children. If a man humbles himself before God and he seeks the Lord, God, I need your presence. I need you to be strong on my behalf. I need to know. I need and pursue him. Pursue him on his knees. Pursue him in seeking. Pursue him in praying. And go in the room of his children while they're sleeping and lay hands on them and say, God, show them your glory. That's enough. That is enough. Because if our children behold the Lord, these other areas that we say, how are we going to, to, how are we going to strategize to raise this child to where they'll do well? Forget it. Behold the Lord. Behold the Lord. That has to be in our hearts. That has to be, as we started talking about this morning, the pursuit. Man's pursuit of God's presence. It has to be something that drives us every day of our heart, of our life. We want to see God's presence. We want to see Him on our behalf. We want to know Him in our hearts. We want to feel His anointing. And we want to see His glory as individuals and as a church. Because I'm going to tell you soon, soon, 
the pursuit of God's presence will be over because there's another time the Shekinah glory will fall and that is in the New Jerusalem. Because when the New Jerusalem set up on here, the Shekinah glory is going to be the light. The Shekinah glory is going to fill the place. And it's going to be something that we behold the Lord soon. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to huddle up and wait for the New Jerusalem. I want to pursue the presence of God. I want to pursue it. I want to believe for it for myself, for my family, for this church, as we come together, that we are expecting. We are a group of people that are pursuing God's presence. We are needing, we are expecting, we are hoping, as the first scripture that we, we read this morning, as a deer panteth or longeth for the water. So my soul longeth for you. So when the question of people say, where is your God? We can tell them he's near because he's manifesting his presence in our lives. And I'm going to close with 1 Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Amen? I want to ask the uh, song leaders to come up and I want everybody to bow their heads and I want us to take a moment and I want to consider the things of this life that we have been pursuing. And as everybody bows their head and in your own words you pray and you consider my personal pursuit of God's presence. It could be just as in Second Chronicles 6. We may have heard, but we never turned. We never prayed. We never repented. It could be that God has been willing to show Himself strong on our behalf all these years, yet we have never pursued the presence of God. Father, in Jesus' name, we don't completely understand what all we need. But God, we need your presence. We need your presence to be so real to us that not only we can trust you more, we can give our battles to you, we can serve you. But God, that we could behold the Lord. That you would have mercy upon us as this small group and this small part of history.
and that you would manifest your presence in our lives. Continue to work on us, Father, and lead us in the way that is pleasing to you. And God, if we must be tested, have mercy upon us as we are but flesh and ask that your presence would be real and manifested. In Jesus' name. Here's my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord, come and quench this thirsting of my soul, bread of heaven. Here's my 